This is episode number 289 with top AI influencer Ben Taylor. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by Data Science Go, which is our very own Data Science Conference. Data Science Go is the event where once a year we bring the data science community together and we also bring very empowering, impactful speakers. So check this out. This year we are bringing you speakers from IBM, Google, Salesforce, Amazon, Atlassian, our studio, Amazon Alexa, Facebook and more. We actually have 30 plus speakers already confirmed and coming this year and ranging from all different roles and backgrounds, from analysts to senior data scientists, from engineers to founders and directors. And the beauty of all of this is that you get to interact with them, you get to see them live, you get to hear them talk, and then come up to them and ask them questions and connect with them, meet each other. Uh, For example, last year we had people from over 23 countries fly to Data Science Go, just to give you a bit of a perspective. This year, Data Science Go is happening on the weekend of 27th, 28th, and 29th of September. We're expecting 600 to 800 attendees, so there will be plenty of networking opportunities. Ticket prices are going up at the end of Monday, the 26th of August. So if you haven't secured your ticket yet, head on over to www.datasensego.com right now and secure your ticket ASAP. That's datasensego.com. And I'll see you there. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super, super excited to have you on the show today because for the third time round, I have my dear friend, AI influencer and mentor, Ben Taylor, on the show. It was super cool to catch up with Ben. Uh, In fact, it was funny that we did this episode as a video and the previous episode we did as a video as well, which was two years ago. And... You can, we had a look at the previous, um, episode in video and we could see how in two years we've gotten older. So we had a bit of a laugh about that. How, what AI or like what running a tech startup actually does to you and how it ages you. And it was quite insane. So if you want to find the video episodes, if you would like to watch that, you can find it at superdatascience.com slash 289. That's www.superdatascience.com slash 289. You can find it there and we actually will add a comparison of before and after how we looked. And in this episode, you will find tons of value. I'm so excited for you to hear it. So here's a couple of things that you'll find inside. Uh, you will find out what Ben has been up to in the past two years since uh, you've heard from him last. Unless, of course, you've seen him in one of his appearances in international uh, keynotes. Uh, then you will also find quite some very cool concepts about artificial intelligence, such as active adverse impact mitigation and what that means and how 
that can help train on your data set without bias. Uh, then uh, we talked about AI ethics. We talked a lot about deep fakes. We talked about Ben's current side project, passion project. Uh, uh, he's building an artificial intelligence that plays Call of Duty. And he will actually demonstrate this at Data Science Go this year, at the end of September. And uh, in this podcast, he gave us a preview of how he's doing it. Such a crazy project that he's working on. Very excited to hear that. And next, we talked about residual technology. We also talked about AI startups and how investors uh, think about them and many, many more topics. So this podcast is a jam-packed with value. And without any further ado, I bring to you my dear friend, Ben Taylor. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show. Today, we've got a dear friend of mine, a super special guest returning for the third time around, Ben Taylor. Ben, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me again. And we were talking about that we're both old men now. <laughs> so, looking back three years ago, we looked like little kids and now we've got, you know, some gray coming in and yeah, yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad we're press, doing this. <laughs> lines in our faces. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this as a video because the last one we did as a video was, well, our previous podcast was like two years ago and we just looked at it. And so like, I'll ask our video editors to like right now, like bam, like yeah. put before yeah, us. I'll, I'll do a, you know, look at all this. Every hair is a mistake or every white <laughs> hair is a mistake. <laughs> and I have been able to collect a lot of them over the years. So, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. It's insane. So what have you been up to since that you have so many mistakes on your face? <laughs> yeah. So one of the interesting things doing a startup, my, my co-founder David says a startup is a series of mis mistakes, uh, but hopefully in the right direction. And that's mm. very true. I think sometimes you can beat yourself up about 2020 hindsight. We could have done this better. We could have done this contract this way. We could have asked for this pricing. We could have not done this or that. And and that can be really discouraging. So the important thing is you learn from your mistakes quickly and you try not to repeat them and you try to find themes or patterns or strengths or weaknesses that kind of um, give you momentum and help you grow. So we've, we've learned a lot in the last three years talking to enterprise for AI because there's so much hype in AI. Everyone wants it. It's actually not very hard to get an execu executive meeting about AI. But the problem is it's all blue sky it's not very actionable and it's not, they don't really understand what it is or how it would be useful. And you having an AI background, you feel like you're just kind of grasping at straws and there's no, ideally you're looking for pain. Like we're looking for this specific problem, like put a fence around it and it's worth tens of millions of dollars. Like that's, that's what we're looking for is then then everyone's aligned that, okay, solve this problem within this time frame and and this is a great relationship for both of us. But if it's not nailed down to some business objective, then it, a lot of times it can be a waste of time. So we've learned a lot of important lessons, um, talking with a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries. And we've, we've really focused lately in insurance and in assessments. Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of our, those are our sweet spot verticals right now. Insurance and assessments. Yeah. So video and audio assessments. So this would be something like, uh, so I worked at HireVue and we did video assessments for pre-hire. This could be something like assessing English as a second language or remote proctoring or predicting some type of behavior or competency. 
Um, but remote proctoring, there's a lot of people that need it. So this is where you're taking an exam and you decide to cheat during the exam. Mm. And right now, the only way to count you is to have humans watch. You have to watch all the video and these exams can be very long. Mm-hmm. And with AI, there's an opportunity to catch these events, which can, you know, save time. And then in insurance, we do a loss prediction. So we're predicting loss on a property. Mm. So should you insure this property? Yes or no, mm. based on the structured data and the unstructured data. So image, images and text. Mm. So we build these holistic models to predict that. And that, that's a fun problem because yeah. the, the numbers are big. Can't imagine. You move, yeah, you move the needle this much and it's worth a really big number, which wow. those are the types of problems you want to work on. That's crazy. Um, and it feels like when you're done, <laughs> the completion rates at universities, because cheating will no longer be available, like drop by 50%. Uh, hopefully. I. Yeah, we're just trying to make everyone more honest, I guess. AI, some people don't like it, but... Like, especially from coming from the higher view side, using AI to do pre-hire assessments, mm-hmm. there like, there have been some very negative reactions from that in social media where people feel like it's black mirror. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It wow. is. I, I have a friend who went through that recently and she's like, I was like preparing. I was there. I was going to start talking. And then this like, and I log in and there's nobody. There's like, there's nobody to yeah. talk to. And then they yeah. just like, they give you these uh, questions. You have to answer them and it's all recorded and then analyzed by AI. But she didn't know. She was like, I didn't know what was happening. I, I think they recorded it because like, you know, maybe they'd look at it later. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> I know Ben told me all about it. Like nobody, like this is going to be an AI assessing the whole thing. And then this is how it's going to work. And she's like, wow, like not expecting that at all. Yeah. So it's, I, I'm biased because I come from that side of things where I see a lot of the good it can do, where it can help eliminate bias because yeah. you have um, racism, sexism, and age bias, and you can, you can get ahead of it. So you mm. can actually protect against it and really try to train models based on competencies needed for the job. But so like, that's only if your data doesn't have bias, right? No. Um, so for most people, so what you said for most people is true. Mm-hmm. If you take a racist training set and you train a resume model, you're going to get a racist model. Mm-hmm. And so the, I think the point I want to make really clear to your, your listeners is you are guaranteed to transfer bias with traditional machine learning. Mm-hmm. So if you're using bag of words or like some type of fancy neural net to build a model for video or audio or text. Supervised learning, well, basically. Yeah, supervised learning, you will transfer the bias right across. Mm-hmm. There's a special type of supervised learning where you do active adverse impact mitigation. So you, what you're doing is you are rewarding features that predict performance mm-hmm. and you are poisoning or killing features that predict race or predict mm-hmm. age. So the very, it's actually not a complicated topic. And the easiest way I can explain it is imagine a resume. If I just throw resumes into a machine and if the last name Garcia is seen as having any type of lift, it would also have lift with predicting race because that's a last name like that can be very racial. So Mm. that would automatically be thrown out. You and I might come up with that idea and say, oh yeah, don't look at name because it can be tied to race, but AI can automatically figure out that if I'm trying to predict black or Hispanic or white or Asian, this this name is interesting and that feature becomes eliminated automatically. Automatically, so, so you don't, you automatically. don't have to tell it which features to. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, so that's kind of the process. You're building, you're not just building one model, you might be building five models simultaneously, and they're all competing for features. And what we find is if you take that approach, you can actually train a racist model and ship a model that is within the guidelines. So it still was able to get lift on performance, mm-hmm. but the the bias transfer was greatly reduced. So there, there's ways to go about doing it. Wow, very interesting. You just need to indicate what things you're not, the model is not allowed to discriminate on, like age, gender, race. Yeah. You just need to yeah. specify those. So one of the things I tell people is if you can predict it, you can protect it. Because yeah. if you can't, if you can't measure it, then how are you going to protect against it? So if there's a genetic bias or if there's some something else going on, how are you going to protect against it? And, and we've actually found some really fascinating things that aren't protected right now. And so mm-hmm. beauty, there's a really strong beauty bias. So mm-hmm. if you're a woman or a man and if you're more attractive, you will do better in the hiring process. And in and, and higher view, by the way, they don't, they don't use that. That's not used to give someone an, an advantage. And they've actually done some internal studies and they've shown that there's no, there's no correlation internally to their AI metrics around something like attractiveness. But on the human side, there is. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. some very, very strong correlations. Some of the strongest correlations we've seen are tied to attractiveness, mm-hmm. which is, it's interesting, but it's also kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But then how would you measure attractiveness to specify to the AI that it needs to, uh, like, as you said, poison those features that predict it? So we have... We already have an attractiveness model. So speaking about our company, we have one. And attractiveness is a really fun topic mm. because you hear the pe- you hear people say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. And now when we're talking from the AI's perspective, beauty is in the eye of the training set. <laughs> so, so if you were trying to put me um, into a corner on a hot seat by saying, Ben, can you tell me? what the AI, what the AI thinks I is, what I would think is attractive. Technically the answer is no, I can't, I can't tell you that because I would have to build a training set based on you. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to LA, Chicago, East coast, West coast, South Korea, Brazil, yes, AI can tell you because that's trained on lots of humans that have done ratings in those areas. Mm. And so yeah, so when it comes to predicting regional average um, behavior from humans, then yes, AI can predict. Mm-hmm. Um, but beauties, I, I can't remember if we talked about this on a previous podcast, but this was an evolution because when we trained the first beauty model, we found out that it was rewarding sexualized beauty. It would actually reward women who were lingerie models or they were dressed because uh, it wasn't focusing on the face. Mm. It was a whole body shot. And when we noticed that, we that we thought, well, that's not really what we intended. And so then we did face crop. And the second time around, the number one was so we have a million images that we're testing on. These images are celebrities. They've never been seen before. They're not part of the training set. So this is our sanity check that we're, we're ranking this data set to see how well we're doing. And the second version, the number one pick, one Miss World. So out of 13,000, so it's a million photos, 13,000 unique individuals, the number one pick, one Miss World, mm. which is like, oh, well, that's not random. Like so it's, the AI picked the lady yeah, that they, won Miss World. Yeah. So like, what are the chances that I stick my yeah. hand into a bowl yeah. and out of 13,000 people, I pull out a Miss World contestant. So it's not one in 13,000, but it's probably like five in 13, like it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, 
but we noticed in our top 10, the racial differences were a little, they, they, they seemed to be oversampling on certain minorities. Mm-hmm. And what we saw when we looked at the racial distributions is they were very different. Mm-hmm. So you had some races that were skewed high, some races that were skewed low. And so the current version that we have is we do race norming where the beauty score we're predicting doesn't have any racial differences. And some people disagree with that, but I'm not going to allow a whole race of people to be scored low. Like just, just because someone might argue with me on why that should be okay. I'm I'm not going to allow that to happen. So, but it's a fun, it's, it is a, it is a controversial model, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Interesting. Like that's, that's a whole AI and ethics space. And it's, it's really cool to see that, you know, people like you are really taking that into account and developing the models that you're creating. Yeah. We, um, I, I've had some fun conversations with some, some of the AI ethics journals, journalists where I see myself as a technophile where I'm, I love inventing things and I'm, and hopefully, I don't invent anything for bad, but it, maybe this will come into the discussion with deep fakes and some other stuff we're going to talk about later on the podcast. But yeah. there, there is a chance that I might make it easier for certain people to do things just based on having a discussion or bringing something up or suggesting something that would make it more difficult to catch deep fakes. Mm-hmm. And whether or not I create that technology or someone else does having the conversation, it's kind of a moving goalpost. Because the more you talk about ways to protect against deep fakes, yeah. better they get. Yeah, yeah. So like, and that's true with any type of AI that you're using to catch the bad guys. The more you talk about it and the more the researchers kind of look into it, the better it gets. Whether it's, They all have access to the same data anyway, the same algorithms. Yeah, same algorithms. They understand the incentives. If I'm trying to record your podcasts and fake your voice for some bank authentication through your voice, that's... 10 years ago, that would have been science fiction. Today, that's becoming easier and easier and easier mm. to pull something like that off. And yeah. That's crazy. Um, speaking of deep fakes, uh, tell us a bit about that because ultimately, if you think about it, this could be deep fakes talking to each other. We could not be here at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm actually surfing in Costa Rica and I have outsourced this podcast <laughs> to someone in the Philippines and they're doing a live deep fakes with you right now yeah. in life so it's very impressive yeah that's I'm just reading from a script of yeah like, and ma- imagine the listeners who are like um uh just listening to the audio not the video version like it could be even just two ais like generating natural language on the fly like having a chat to each other yeah so what's the most likely thing that I should respond to what you just said or like when <laughs> when's the laugh track when does the laugh track make sense <laughs> um, yeah, but I can't remember if I because there's a lot, there's a lot of buzz right now around deep fakes where people they want regulation they want us to figure out how to how to detect them and stop them from happening and I feel like that's the wrong conversation to be having. Mm-hmm. We actually just have to get to the end of the story, and mm-hmm. the end of the story is there's no way to detect a deep fake. Mm-hmm. Like today, there is. I feel like if there was a very high profile case where there were huge consequences for determining if this deep fake was real or not there. There's some pretty detailed ways that, you know, people like us could, you know, you or I could figure it out very quickly mm-hmm. that this is fake, but, and, and I'll bring up some specific uh, things you could do, but those, 
things are eroding away. Hmm. Where five years from now, 10 years from now, I would argue it would be extremely hard for an AI expert to convince another AI expert that this is a deep fake or it's not. Hmm. Today, there's an argument to be made, but in the future, there will be. So let's just finish the story and figure out what we're going to do hmm. when we can't. We don't know what's real. And, it, and people talk about going back to blockchain where you authenticate the source. So if I send a video of you doing something inappropriate, if you don't trust the source, you don't trust the video. Mm-hmm. It's not newsworthy. It should not be shared. But if I'm a news reporter, you know me and I'm authenticated to you and you're able to confirm that, that there wasn't some type of intercept, that this is me giving you a video, mm-hmm. then, then that's kind of what we have to go to is source authentication. But Interesting. So blockchain could yeah. play a big role in that. It could play a big role. And I think it'll kind of change the way we do media because right now for local media, they'll, and I I think I mentioned this too. I personally actually have a national media mention of me coming from a fake social profile. So it wasn't Ben Taylor. It was my fake social profile mentioned on USA Today um, during the Ashley Madison crap. And they were pissed when they found out. But um Right now, there's not a lot of due diligence on sources because they're just trying to grab whatever's out there in social media, in- interesting videos and different things. And, and that's going to go away where it, everyone has to be authenticated and you have to know the source and you have to have confirmation. Yeah. Well, important, um, important. Um, yeah. The fastest way I can tell a fake for now, they are getting better, is you look at the teeth, usually like have a third tooth in the middle. You know, that's Oh, yeah. Or the earrings, yeah. like if like you see a face. The, the a really cool website to test these things on is uh, thispersondoesnotexist.com. You just like refresh yeah. it, generates a new image every time. And uh, like earrings usually, like things that are supposed to be symmetrical sometimes aren't. And then you can like... Yeah. And we see as the generations of this technology gets better, those issues start going away. Yeah. So the, yeah. the s- symmetry and different things are being improved. I, so I was actually taking a nap month or two ago and I woke up from the nap and when I woke up I thought holy cow I know how to catch a deep fake I know how to catch the world's <laughs> best deep fake and so when I say the world's best deep fake I mean let's say someone in Israel or Russia or the US spent 10 million dollars to create one deep fake mm. and you and I are staring at it and we're watching it over and over and over again and it's high resolution we're staring at it and as humans we can't see anything wrong yeah yeah you can't see any artifacts and we might actually get to a point where we kind of have to give in and say we don't see anything wrong with this we think it's real yeah but the the funny thing is mentioning this as soon as you mention something it's no longer a thing yeah (laughs) but i I, i'm fine mentioning it (laughs) because someone someone else will mention it so the fascinating thing with the deep fake is it doesn't have a pulse it doesn't have there's no heart rate. Oh, okay. Wow. And so if they're fair skinned, you can amplify the heart rate in the temporal data in the video and you can see their heart rate in their face. And for a big effort, I would argue that would have been a detail they may have missed mm-hmm. where I have a deep fake of you right now. It's incredible. It looks real. There's no visual artifacts, but they forgot to give you a heart rate. That's crazy. I love that. I was, I was looking at, there's like an app now that you can uh, point it at a video and it will um, emphasize any kind of heartbeat. Like if it's for, Oh yeah. 
for baby monitors. You know that one to see that the baby's breathing. So it yeah, so it's so exactly. You, so it's that technology. So, um, so to make the AI community feel better, I'm pretty slammed right now just with startup and work, but I love fun marketing pieces. <laughs> so to make the AI community feel better, I wanted to show the first deep fake with a heartbeat. <laughs> I, I, I'm too busy and I've got other things like you, but I would love to say, hey, everyone, this is a problem and I fixed it for you. And now there's a deep fake with a heartbeat. Oh. And then, then the next step would be you would actually become very opinionated on the specific heartbeat signature. Mm-hmm. Is this Ben Taylor's heartbeat? No. Or is this a modified, like you would actually kind of have to go to that level to like, so what you see is the argument starts disappearing. So yeah. you and I talk heartbeat and we say, that's a great thing. And now but all the, all the dark yeah. web is already onto the heartbeat thing. Yeah. And now you see it's kind of like, about, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah it's, it's like, like you say, it's like a race like before they could have used it in, in a major case where, you know, like the, yeah. a lot of fraud was committed, but now that it's out there that you said it on a podcast now, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> no one, you can't use that. Yeah. As a well, I, I love, I love for some people to comment and get mad and say, I wish you had just told each other that privately mm. and not publicly because now someone on the dark web can have those ambitions. But part of me just wants to get to the end of the story that you don't trust anything. Yeah. And now it just has like, because this feels like a waste of time if you're trying to fight an intermediate step, like mm-hmm. catching deep fakes in 2019, 2020, 2025, it's a lost battle. So why did we spend so much time when we could have just solved the bigger problem? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Interesting. Well, speaking of um, other things like you're busy on, like you, you're coming to data science go this year Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. at the end of September, 27, 28, 29. uh, And your presentation sounds like a lot of fun. Tell us about that. That's that's, that's a good idea. So this, uh, so you have different passion projects and sometimes they're spur of the moment where they're literally that morning or a few weeks, you're thinking of something. And, and for an AI company, they can be good because they show thought leadership and you you can kind of drive, you know, some stuff in the AI community, but Mm -hmm. there's been a very selfish passion project of mine that I've obsessed about for years and I did not think it was possible. And that was playing Call of Duty on the Xbox with AI in a live environment. So I don't mean a modified Xbox or like locally. I just want to be playing full auto live on the web against people where I have not asked their permission. <laughs> rebel, <laughs> rebel Ben. Yeah, yeah rebel Ben. Like, um, you know, you know, I like to. You, you like to push or, it. You like yeah, there. If there's a ripple or a splash, I'd rather go for the splash because that's yeah. more entertaining. <laughs> um, and so two or three years ago, I thought, man, like I really want to see this happen. But, and this is a very naive number. I'll just throw this number out. So, so I think uh, DeepMind, Google DeepMind, they spent, they've spent over a million dollars in R&D on, no more than that. They spent millions of dollars for like specific games. So they'll decide we're going to go tackle this game. They'll spend millions of dollars. And I was thinking for this, it would be maybe $5 million in talent and, and time to figure this out. Cause for you Call have the Duty. Xbox. Yeah. For Call of Duty. Cause you have the Xbox drivers. You, it's not meant to play nice to mm-hmm. do that. And you've got network protocols through USB that you have to override and intercept and take control of. And it's just a whole skill set that we don't have. Like mm-hmm. AI researchers don't have that. And, um, 
But for less than $2,000 hardware that I was able to cobble together, I was able to figure out a way. And wow. yeah, so I'm, it's, it's a really fun setup. So I had to buy a piece of hardware from France called a gimmicks adapter. Mm-hmm. It does like this man in the middle attack where it tricks the Xbox into thinking that you are an Xbox controller mm-hmm. and it does it by intercepting a real Xbox controller. So I have a real Xbox controller and I push the button that goes into a Linux AI computer mm-hmm. and that goes to the Xbox and it kind of does the handshake. And then once it does the handshake, then the Linux computer takes over. Oh, wow. Is it, <laughs> and from the Xbox, it, has, it doesn't know. It has yeah. no idea. It's just, I'm getting these controls from this controller. And, and then for the video, we have the video coming out of the Xbox and it goes into an HDMI capture card on the AI computer. So the AI computer sees full 1080p. Uh, we were running at 60 frames per second for a while, but that was a little hard for the capture card, but still 30 frames per second, that's faster than most humans can react, especially with the latency. So the AI computer sees everything and it has <laughs> access. <laughs> so, um, so it's been a really fun project. Uh, so the thing we started with is you always want to train from a good baseline because mm-hmm. you, you want to train, you want to get all this training data from gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have stuff to work with to study and I'm not good enough mm-hmm. to be the human. Mm-hmm. And so I, I put some social media fillers out for good humans mm-hmm. to come and play on this special modified system. Yeah. And you would be amazed how many mothers I had on Facebook that no. were brag bragging about their son's kill streaks. <laughs> so I had mothers saying my son has killed 24 people in a row. And another mother is like, my son's killed 35 people in a row. And it was so funny because you can imagine being a young, like 12 year old kid yeah. and your mom's calling from the other room. How many people have you killed in a row on call of duty? And you're like, Oh, she actually cares about what I do all day. Like, like I'm sure like, I'm sure this is like the first time this like, Oh, this yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a bunch of people coming over to my house and trying out and I even had some really young kids. I think the youngest was 12 which is really funny because they're coming over with their really proud parents and they're mm-hmm. playing on the system. But I found this professional gamer. Um, I think his name is Caden. Um, he was next level. Mm. Like I'm still shaking my head, just mm. watching him play. He created 3000 kill events by kill events. It's not people killed. It's like fight sequences that were saved and pushed to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And he's killing people so well. So the funny thing is he shows up to the house. We have the special system set up. He needs to use his monitor. He's not willing to use our monitor. <laughs> he has like a special monitor yeah. that, that sits right in front of his face. Yeah. So we reset it up. So it's using his monitor. And then he asks if it's okay if he uses gamer goo. Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Like whatever he asks, the answer is What's yes. Gamer goo? Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. So he pulls out... Uh, it looks like lotion and it says gamer goo and he squirts it on his hands and it makes his hands like grippier. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so he's in my house playing for four hours and he's got all these data scientists and like physicists and AI people behind him commenting. So no. they're not gamers. They're like commenting on like, what are you doing, Ben? What is your life, man? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, and we recorded some of this. Actually, I should send you, I'll send you a video element. Maybe you can even like, yeah, yeah, that. send it. We'll put it, it in. It shows the- him, yeah, it shows him playing with all of this crazy stuff yeah. flying through the computers. And um, 
and so he's created an incredible data set to study and learn yeah. from. And there's the thing you, you start to realize pretty quickly is humans, they can't win. Mm. They really can't win because mm -hmm. there's, um, so maybe a real world example, let's say there's a gunfight in the future. You're in a bar, droids come in, they start shooting up the place with machine guns and you, you do too, because it's Terminator days, you got your machine gun, everyone's shooting. And if I run in and I yell, stop, and everyone stops and I ask you to count your bullets, you have no idea how many bullets you have. You have no idea. Like you, yeah. you honestly have no idea. Maybe you think you're almost out of your clip. You don't know. If I ask AI, AI knows exactly how many bullets it has, but it also knows how many bullets you have and how many bullets your partner has. Cause it's counting. It counts everything. So when it comes to like accounting, yeah. it's the world's best accountant in that <laughs> type of scenario. And so every, like for a very specific example, every muzzle flash, yeah. where the bullet leaves the gun in the game, the AI is capturing all of that in real time with perfect accuracy and it's counting bullets and it's counting itself. And it's like, so it just has a much better, it has a faster time to react and it has um, the amount of data it can consume is just unbelievable. It creates over a terabyte of data every hour. Um, wow. Yeah. You don't think about it because you're just playing the Xbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's insane. And so, like, what were the results? Did you manage to train the AI to, to play like Caden? Um, so we, so with these models, they, it's a huge project because I can't remember. So Google said they had 18 agents working together to play their StarCraft. And that's kind of how you think of it. You don't train one AI, you train yes. all of these sub models. And so we have just a bunch of sub models that have been trained where they hit really high accuracies. And then they all work together on one decoder and, and encoder. So we're still working through it. We have a lot of things that are really exciting where AI is, you know, essentially pulling the trigger. Like AI wants to shoot you. Yeah. So there's, but there's different things. There's the gun movement. There's the, the actual physical movement. So, so the thing I'm, I'm pushing for is by data science go, we, we do have clips of, Hey, look, that person died, that person died, that person died. And it's <laughs> pretty good. And I, I think, and you'll see, yeah, you'll see already from these submodels, their accuracy is unbelievable. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, and, it, and so that's a real passion project of mine. And I do like to troll Microsoft. So I would love to have a Twitch feed with a live AI bot running and Microsoft just has to watch in horror. <laughs> and then you're like masking, masking all the gamer tags mm -hmm. where they, because they'll, they'll try to blacklist you. If they, if they can see your gamer tag or they know who you are, they're going to try to, kick yeah. you off the network but if they can just watch on a lag then it's <laughs> oh, they just yeah. they're just helpless but part of me no one else is willing to do a shooting game right now and part of me actually wants to do it to raise awareness because i want i want it to start a discussion that look this is actually pretty good um this is maybe a glimpse to into autonomous warfare and what do you guys think mm -hmm. like what does society think because if we're having these discussions 10 years from now, I think it's too late. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like then you're having it based on a real world demonstration, mm -hmm. having it on a real world demonstration. I'd say it's too late. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so, but one thing I don't understand in, in this um, scenario is that usually, for instance, Google, when they try to model a game or create an AI that creates a game, uh, they use reinforcement learning, so they don't have any of this supervised oh, yeah. training. Like yeah. how, come, how come you guys needed the supervised data sets? 
So the supervised data sets, it's really, really good to, um, well, first you have to just study, you have to study to figure out what the elements are that you need for mm-hmm. gameplay. So like me telling you that muzzle flash and hit indicators um, were useful. I wouldn't know that unless we had hours and hours and hours of footage to review based on gameplay. Um, it, and for the reinforced learning, the thing, yeah, so we you can initialize on human gameplay, but the very next thing you want to do is you want to go to superhuman. You want to go to some cost metric. And so the thing that we're still hammering down is what is that cost? And I think the cost is going to end up being the amount of lives you take per unit of your health. Because mm-hmm. the, the good news is these are very short fight sequences. We're not talking about it. We're not talking about strategy minutes away. We're talking yeah. about in the next five seconds, are you going to kill someone? And if you do, how much health did you have to give up to mm-hmm. kill someone? Mm-hmm. And so the, um, so that, that'd be the reinforced part where then the AI is just rewarded, okay. just plays, plays, plays. And every single fight sequence is essentially scored as part of the training set mm-hmm. on you fought and you were killed. That's very, very bad. You mm-hmm. should never be killed mm-hmm. or you fought and you killed a few people, but you were hurt very badly doing it. And that just goes back into the training set. So those mm-hmm. sequences and those outcomes become pretty objective. So basically, yeah. Yeah. So the, the nice thing with um, something like a first person shooter is the objective is even simpler. Something like Starcraft or these other games are much more complicated because you have long-term strategies that are very, very complicated. And and so many different pathways that can evolve. Yeah. Yeah, But just AI coming around the corner and there's three enemies, you have to kill all three. That's, that's not as complicated. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did a simple one for um, Doom. Remember that game, Doom? Yeah, yeah. So, so Doom would train on random initialization. Yeah. So yeah. It, it just starts. You have like a navigation, and initially it's shooting, like shooting at the sky, shooting yeah, yeah, at the wall, yeah. and then eventually it kills a monster. And so the the problem with live gameplay on the Xbox is if you try to start with random initialization, the gameplay is too complicated. You're not gonna you're not gonna kill someone. But if you yeah. start with initialization trained on a professional player, yeah. the likelihood of you shooting someone and killing them is high. Okay. You're, gotcha. Like if someone walks in front of your gun, you're going to shoot them. Yeah, like yeah. guaranteed, you're going to shoot them. <laughs> and that's come from the human gameplay. Gotcha. So this is like a combination of supervised at the start to get you up to speed yeah. and then reinforcement learning to take you superhuman. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And, the, and the, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I, I really geek out about high performance computing. Mm-hmm. And so the real, the thing I'm the most excited about this is just the high performance computing element, the number of models that have to run at 30 frames per second mm-hmm. and keep up is, mm-hmm. is very impressive. And that's something that I'm excited to show off at Data Science Go. Mm. That look, because the, um, so my, in my career, the, my favorite thing to do when it comes to AI research is I love to show someone something that is so unbelievable. It's not believable, mm-hmm. especially like where I'm accused of lying. So if it's, mm-hmm. hey, these are my benchmarks, this is how many models I'm running at 30 frames per second on this hardware, mm-hmm. I, I love to have numbers where there's someone in the audience that says, nope, <laughs> I, I don't believe that. That like for me, that's kind of icing on the cake because yeah. then I can meet that person say, nope, it, or I don't even have to meet them. I just like that. I like when people are... <laughs> 
they don't believe me. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's very cool. Um, and uh, it's really it's it's uh, interesting that you said yourself like that challenge that by day sense go have some of these um uh, things to show. That's that's really going to push you to get to get there. Well, and I've I've been sharing this stuff off for a while. So I presented this at Amazon's Palo Alto office, and I presented it in Minneapolis. Like we've been working on this for a while, and mm-hmm. we made really good progress. But we're 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 actually getting to the live gameplay elements that get really exciting because mm-hmm. the, there's actually some historical people might not think they're that historical. I think they're pretty historical. Mm-hmm. Where we and the other wonderful thing about this is this is all recorded in full 1080p. Everything is recorded all the time. Mm-hmm. And so the very first autonomous kill on an Xbox against someone online without their permission will be recorded. Mm-hmm. And I'll actually, I will know their gamer tag. The world may not know their gamer tag. <laughs> I will know their gamer tag. <laughs> and that video can go on YouTube and just be shared to the world that, hey, this person was the very first person killed online with autonomous AI. And wow. they, they probably, they had no idea. They just come around the corner and AI saw them and activated and shot them. Yeah. Well, if, if anybody watching this sees uh, Ben Taylor in their game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Yeah. I, I would, I would mention my gamer tag, but that's probably but no, the Microsoft will yeah. take it down. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't ruin yeah. the exercise. Wow. That's very cool. Very cool. But Ben, like uh, our listeners might be getting a bit of a false um, kind of like a, uh, perception of you that you're just like this gamer, <laughs> crazy gamer who creates AI to to dominate uh, the online world of shooters. So your company, right, Ziff or Ziff, right? Mm-hmm. You are a, a consulting. Is that correct? Because like I thought no, you were we, mostly. No, we, we, yeah, we have a platform. So we have an auto ML platform. We specialize in image, audio, video, and text models, but a very specific kind. So the types of models we build that we do well are called holistic models, mm-hmm. where it's structured data interacting with not just one image type, but multiple image types. So imagine predicting loss, and I've got images of roof, dwelling, satellite, Google Street View, mm-hmm. um, structured, maybe text description. So those types of models, um, the industry is starting to catch up where they're starting to think that way. A couple of years ago, we felt like we we're the only ones thinking about that way. We're, we're seeing some open source projects like Ludwig from Uber, where they are starting to think about encoders and decoders. How do I take a hybrid or mixed data set and build these types of models? And so that's our specialty. We allow engineers to build those models. And so the, the Xbox model is actually showcasing how complicated some of these AI models can get in real life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so this particular model is going to have, you know, north of 10 submodels or encoders working together yeah. to drive a final outcome and we see that in industry too Uh so whether it's insurance house price assessment um so it does showcase some of our capabilities the the other thing i want to throw out there um so maybe just go with me for a second on a scenario so let's say you're an investor or you're a vc i'm going to pitch you right now got a good startup idea and i say i need i need five million dollars and i'm going to go hire a team of PhD physicists, data scientists, and we're going to work for the next two years doing Xbox gaming, like with, a, with AI. And we're never going to make any revenue. We'll never make a dollar of revenue. But in the next two years, we will sell for 50 to $100 million. 
that scenario to someone who, when they're kind of, when they see that for the first time, that sounds ridiculous. Like that sounds like, why would that ever work? Why would that ever produce any value that would be worth buying? Mm -hmm. And the thing we're noticing when you tackle a project like the Xbox, you actually get residual tech. You just get tech that comes along for the right. You just get things that are invented. You didn't know you needed them and suddenly you have them. Mm-hmm. And so some of the models and the throughput we have for these higher resolution video feeds are, they're kind of groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. But if we didn't have the passion piece, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have discovered them. Like it's kind of crack cocaine for nerds. Like <laughs> if you tell them you're going to do autonomous war on Call of Duty, how many nerds can you get rushing to your side if you can pay them market comp to work mm-hmm. on that problem? Like it's, um, yeah. So they, but in the end, you have to pay the bills. Like you have to make money. You can't just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I don't have the swagger in the VC community to kind of swing that stick uh-huh. yet in my career, where I could say, "Hey, I need twenty million dollars to goof off for three years." Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So so this AutoML thing is a way for you to kind of like supplement your research. Yeah. Yeah. Find yep. Questions. Um, yep. what, 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 uh, what is, uh, the thing, what, like, what kind of auto ML do you offer? So any company can come sign up and start using the platform. Um, we're specializing, we're speci- specializing in insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there are insurance companies that want to predict loss on a property, so like a residential home, they're trying to decide, should I insure your home yeah. right now? They have human underwriters that will go through that process. With our capabilities, we allow them to unlock the potential of the unstructured data because it's very awkward and clumsy for these companies to try to do that internally. They really struggle with it. Mm-hmm. So we make that very easy. Their engineering team can build their own models on our platform. They don't need to know data science or AI or neural networks. They, we actually have a, a JSON schema where they can submit property records through our system. And then we take care of the model building and the automation for them. So those are the types of customers that we would be going after. And the good thing with insurance is there's a lot of them. There's a lot of insurance companies that care very, they care very much about loss prediction mm-hmm. or, or price prediction. Awesome. Okay. Makes sense. So what, what's your exit strategy for this business? Um, well, we, we've had acquisition options in the past. Um, so there's always that scenario, I guess, you know, assuming that the market keeps up that appetite. Um, but with some of these insurance contracts, there's also an opportunity to just grow the business and become cash flow positive and, yeah. you know, self-sustaining too. Um, Cause I, we, we are not VC backed right now, so we don't require an exit strategy today. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, it, you never know what's going to happen in the next 12 months gotcha. or six months. Yeah, so. more and more Microsoft might come along and buy you. <laughs> you stop destroying their Call of Duty product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it could be like ransom. Just if, <laughs> if, you buy, if you don't buy us for $15 million, we will, we will, you know, play for another 24 hours and kill a thousand people online. yeah gotcha gotcha all right um so ben i wanted to ask you another thing so one of the best places uh well like you present in in many different conferences and people can meet you in many events but one one event is data science go and for those who are 
listening to this and are still on the fence about coming to the Sense Go this uh, um, this September. What would you say to them? Because you've been to two data science goals now. Like, I, I, lo- I love you for this. You're like such a great supporter. You always come, you do an amazing speech. Everybody loves you. What has your experience been so far in, from t- 2017 to 2018? Um, and what are you looking forward to in 2019? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I speak at a lot of conferences all over. I spoke at Dublin Tech Summit. I'm, I'm actually speaking in Madrid right before data science go. And we had to figure out the flight pattern where I yeah. like, I, it, it works. It's going to work out. One of the things I really like about data science go is it's, um, it's a really tight knit group of AI data science professionals and people trying to break into that space. And out of all the conferences I've presented to, I've never presented at a conference that has the energy and the excitement and kind of the, the nurturing that comes with the attendees that I see at this conference. Because a lot of other conferences, it's the audience is not that engaged. Honestly, there's like, if you had to like, you know, measure excitement from the crowd, you, there really isn't any there. They're just kind of there. And Data Science Go is completely different. There's, I think like last year, there's like people cheering and, yeah. and, you guys do a great, great job with the DJs and stuff, but like people are cheering. Yeah. And actually, I think if you listen to my talk, there's people like whooping and cheering during the talk. Yeah. When you took that selfie, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah. 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 People do that. But just like even little like whoops and stuff in the background, just like you say a statement that people see as truth or like they agree with it. And you hear like confirmations or whoops from the audience. And I've never been to an AI conference that does that. So it's a lot of fun for me. That's really cool. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for the for the words. Did you uh, do you meet uh, any interesting people last time? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I I always have fun interacting with a lot of the other speakers like that. That's fun for me. I, I met some people there from Red Bull and SpaceX. That I was able to follow up with and go on site to their their locations. Wow. Um, and I've you know kept in touch with a lot of people that aren't aren't local. They're like even international folks. I've really enjoyed staying in touch with them. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I've, I've always enjoyed the contacts and that, that I see there and meet there. And, and I, and I, and I've had people already message me that are the, their attendees that are coming back and they're, you know, they're excited to reconnect and say hi. And, and that's, that's fun. It starts to feel more like a high school reunion. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. We do have some people coming back for the third year on. It's really exciting to yeah. returning guests <laughs> to the yeah. yeah. And I I so out of the other conferences, I, I would say I'll put in a few weeks of thought before the talk, but data science go, I think, you know, for the second or third year in a row, like I definitely am thinking like six months before the talk. Wow. Wow. Like what, what do I want it to be? What's the wow factor? What's the messaging? What's, what's the takeaway? And, and I get excited about that. Like, I, I think it's important to have kind of the one talk that you, you get real jazzed about and maybe you kind of get over your skis a little bit. You like you, you know, you set a goal or you set some expectation mm-hmm. and you've got, you know, most of the year to kind of stew on it and hopefully motivate and deliver where that's very really cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, a lot of speakers like just reuse the talk in many different conferences. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 
yeah, it not a, I don't do that data science go like mm-hmm. they're they so one of the one of my commitments to you, the to the people listening that will go to data science go this year there there will be things in my talk that I will be showing that no one has ever seen before like ever and mm-hmm. and they 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 won't just be look at this AI application they will be benchmarks and numbers where like like I kind of this is the reaction I want. They're just like, <laughs> we, we see those numbers and we see what's done. How, <laughs> how is like, like that, that's kind of the icing. And, and I don't want to be like a mystique or like, I'm like magic or I'm like withholding, like it's a lot of work. It's really, really hard. And you have to do a lot of stuff to kind of plow through these milestones. And I'll talk a lot about it in the talk, Yeah. but some of the things could end up being trade secret and stuff where I can't roll back the full kimono and say like, this is why we're going 30 frames per second on a single CPU thread or like stuff like that. Gotcha. And what I like about your talks is that they're different every time, you know, this time call of duty, last time you were talking about passion and obsession and you know, where's that, there's that transition and who you want to hire and how to get hired. Really cool. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I get bored easily. If I had to give the same talk again, it would be really boring for me. Mm. Yeah, so, I can imagine. And I and and I it'd be boring for the audience too if they're coming back. Like they kind of they want to see something new, something inspiring, something different. And and I, the talk this year is really focusing on the models that industry needs are they're so much more intimidating than what I thought industry needed as a data scientist. And so I'll be going through some of these models. Mm-hmm. And thankfully they're becoming easier to build. So you don't need our company to build these models, but they're, you know, they're becoming these very complicated mixed data set models where YouTube advertising or cheating detection, or like, there's just a lot of different data elements floating around. So the mm-hmm. idea of you building an image classifier that is game changing for a company is kind of laughable today because it's hard for me to think of an application where that would be that important. Like if I can predict, do you have a swimming pool from space for insurance? So we could build a deep net. It looks at an image of a, your house and it predicts swimming pool, no swimming pool. AI can do that. Deep learning can do that. But the problem is, what is that worth? Mm-hmm. Like literally, what is that worth? It's only one thing. What is it worth? And it's, it's worth more than zero, but it's not worth $10 million mm-hmm. for that. Like that model's not worth that much. And so when you get into these mixed models, the numbers get really big because they, they typically have a big impact on the business. Yeah. And they probably but, have like a compounding effect as well on each other. It, exactly. So, yeah. So when you start combining these different data sets, the amount of lift, and we, we do those benchmarks internally. So we'll benchmark structured only to these models and we'll see some significant lift differences. And that's actually what we get paid on. We get paid on the Delta. Yeah. Makes sense. So. That's, that's the best way to do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Add value, get paid on the value. Um, ben, yeah. we're slowly approaching the end of this amazing third session that we've had, we're having now. Um, what is your one piece of advice that you can give to our listeners who want to do things that you do? You know, like who want to get into AI, do passion projects, create cool stuff, you know, maybe start a company, do amazing things, you know, like before. And, and then next time when you come here for the fourth one, then, we, you know, like there'll be a new piece of advice. But for until they hear from you next or until they see your data science go, what's your one best piece of advice for them to succeed in their undertakings? 
Um, I think, I think the best piece I have of advice I have for them is to uh, take some risks. Don't work at the same company for very long. Like, I'm sorry for their employer, but you know, try to work, try to work somewhere for a few years and go to a different place to challenge yourself. It's really important for you to figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are. Cause there's some things you're really good at and there's other things you're not. And the sooner you can figure that out, the better, cause you know, maybe you can, find a co-founder to complement your weaknesses, or you can try to protect yourself from them. It's, it's really important that you know what your weaknesses are. Because if you know your, what your weaknesses are, then you can protect yourself from some of these pitfalls. Um, maybe this will sound cheesy. You only get one career. And so knowing you only get one career, why would you want to go work for a company for 20 years doing something that wasn't you know, it didn't impact the industry. It wasn't something you can look back on. And in the, the other thing I want to throw out there is a lot of times we think about our resume, but there is a startup resume. Hmm. Like as you go and, you know, raise capital, sell a company, raise capital, sell a company, there are some life-changing opportunities that can come from that. Not just the money, but your momentum and your ability to tackle a new idea. So, so here, here's an idea that no one's tackling. Um, they have autonomous mowers that you can buy today for $3,000. It's like a Roomba. Mm-hmm. If you have a backyard with a, it has an electric fence, yeah. this mower will come out and it'll just go around the yard and it's very quiet. It mows every single night. It's really dumb, but it works and people pay for it. Um, I think there should be a company today on the market that has an AI system on top of that mower that is killing weeds with lasers at night <laughs> with AI. And <laughs> The technology elements are very doable. Like that is not, it's not science fiction. It's like, Hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars. You go do it. You give me a million dollars. I'll go do it. Mm-hmm. But we're busy. So we're yeah. not doing that thing. And I would love for your, your listeners to eventually get to a point in the career where if that sounds exciting, they will go do that thing. Mm-hmm. They'll just go do it. And so you, you kind of have to take risks. You have to tool up, challenge yourself, get to where, you can do that because I feel like that project I just suggested, if that became your passion project, you have the resources to figure it out. You'll figure it out. Yeah, just resources, yeah. being resourceful, like like exactly. No, like I already, I feel excited about that. As you said, I'm busy, but like if, yeah. if I have the time, no problem. Like just give me a yeah. give me a million bucks, give me a year, we'll be done. Yeah, but if I told you that project ten years ago, you'd be like, I don't even know where to start. Like yeah. I. I, I don't even know how I would tackle that project, but today with a little bit, with a, not a little bit, with a lot of experience, a lot of mistakes, a lot of things deployed, value added all over the map, maturity, and then s- some reputation attached to that, you could pull that off. And how fun would that be if that was your passion project? Like if yeah. you just went head down for the next two years and you changed the world where there's never another blade of crabgrass. So people might, some people might think that sounds kind of stupid, but for me, I think that's amazing. If yeah. you did that, that is amazing. And I will buy that lawnmower from you <laughs> for the $10,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. Because that's amazing. That and I, I don't want, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I think it's important for people to plan their five and 10 year goals. And there's no reason why someone can't have that mm. kind of in their sights or something similar. 
Yeah, and, and it doesn't doesn't have to turn into like a company, right? Like you can do it as a passion yeah. project and through the recognition you get, you can, Microsoft will come and give you an offer or and Google will want to take you and your team on board even before you incorporate. Like they'll just see the potential, the value that you're bringing through passion, through what you work yeah. on and, and that's it. You have a new job all of a sudden. Yeah, I, and another point I want to shoot out there is I think sometimes people think that they're this is the time for AI startups. Like this is the time to do AI, but you and I will live the rest of our lives with more AI opportunities than we can handle or think of. So there, there are tens of thousands of startups from now until we die that are related to AI that are niche applications like the mower example or something else, huge impact, plenty of opportunity for your listeners. And I, I would definitely recommend going that route. It's, it's not an easy route. You can probably tell from the look on our faces. It's not, it's not an easy <laughs> the, the beards. The beards yeah, it's not an easy route, but maybe the hope is a year from now, our paths cross in Costa Rica and we're surfing and throwing mangoes at coconuts <laughs> for at least a week before we go do the next thing. Yeah. Like it's still worth it. But yeah, anyway, um, it, Always happy to answer questions, and I know you are as well, based on your availability to people as they have these ideas or questions. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, yeah. Ben. When are you going to write a book? We're waiting for a book from Ben Taylor. <laughs> when are you going to write a book? I wrote Actually, it last year. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> your turn. Oh, I, need, I need to read that book. Man. Oh, uh, I'll give you one at Data Science Go. It's, that, it's the purple one, Confident Data Skills. But when's yours coming okay. up? Well, I... Six months ago, I would have said never, but then I ran to someone at Dublin Tech Summit where he was a um, New York Times bestseller. Yeah. And he was telling me about the process, and I thought, man, that sounds terrible. Like, <laughs> it is. Like, it is like, terrible. <laughs> that sounds terrible to go through the work to write that book. And he said, no, it was actually really easy. I said, what hmm? do you mean? It was, yeah. So, yeah, you're reacting too. Like, what yeah. do you mean? That does, that's not easy. He said, no. Every morning I woke up, I turned on my recorder. And I spoke in the car and I'd literally say chapter one and I just ramble. And then the next day, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And so he just had like hours and hours and hours of just whatever was in his head. Yeah. He gave it to a writer and he paid them a lot of money, he paid them $70,000 or whatever. It sounds like a lot of money. Maybe that's not, well, I guess you could pay someone hundreds of thousands of dollars and they wrote him a New York times bestseller and put his face on the book. Fantastic. Yeah. Actually, it's yeah. the same way as I did it. I recorded oh, everything you, on audio. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not good have, at, I'm not good at writing. Yeah. I just recorded the, the, the sentences and the, the audio, the, what I wanted to convey. And then you will find a writing partner who helps you put it into text and you review yeah, it. Yeah, so I, I didn't know you could do that. And that sounds... <laughs> well, that, welcome. <laughs> yeah, so you're a step ahead. Yeah, so the, yeah. sorry, the point was there to, to get, get your thoughts out there, to get a medium for people to read it. And you know, like, um, just one of the ways to do it. So you should, you totally should. Well, it, maybe if I control Microsoft really, really bad with the live Twitch feed, then I'll write a book about that, about how angry they were. But anyway, <laughs> or, or if we, we do get a liquidation event, then I'll, I'll tell yeah. you all about it. All right. Okay. So. Well, Ben, it was a pleasure having you on the show for the third time around. And thank you so much for everything you shared. And I look forward to seeing you at Data Science Go. Yeah. Yeah, you as well. Excited to go there. Month and a half away. Fantastic. All right. See ya. Okay. See ya.
So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, that was Ben Taylor. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. And if you'd like to hear more from Ben, if you'd like to see how that AI playing Call of Duty project turns out, then come on over to Data Science Go this year. It's happening on the weekend of 27th, 28th, 29th of September. You can still get your tickets at a discounted price. The prices are going up on the 26th of August. And if you jump on www.datasciencego.com, that's datasciencego.com, you can secure your seat for the conference there and meet Ben along with other speakers from companies such as IBM, Google, Salesforce, and many, many more. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode, including the video version of this episode at www.superdatascience.com slash 289. That's superdatascience.com slash 289. We'll include all the materials mentioned in this episode over there. Once again, thank you so much for being here today. Don't forget to grab your Data Science Go ticket before the prices go up on the 26th of August. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.